Podcasting from the Chicagoland area, this is Game On with Jackson Stewart, where we discuss men's lifestyle, focusing on sex, fitness, relationships, business, and more. We'll be interviewing the best of the best, the hot shots, and the rising stars in the worlds of modeling, fitness, cooking, and more. Influencers who are discussing keeping it sexy while at the top of their game. I'm your host, Jackson Stewart. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the game. This is Risqué, and you're listening to Game On with Jackson Stewart. The game is full of no end of bad guys, users, abusers, and all-around assholes. It is also full of nice guys whose pursuit of the right thing can be born from the wrong set of emotions. Our guest tonight will help us discuss the right way to stop being nice and start being whole. Dr. Michael Pariser is a psychotherapist in private practice in Los Angeles, California, with over 20 years of experience treating emotional issues. He's a certified psychoanalyst who practices from a contemporary relational model. Dr. Pariser is also the author of No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey, a step-by-step guide to becoming an integrated male, and he's also our guest this evening. Uh, everyone, you've heard the amazing introduction. Now join me in welcoming to the show the thought-provoking, brilliant, and soul-healing Dr. Michael Pariser. Doc, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. So let's start off by asking you to let people know, let the audience know what is the best social media platform or website to find you and by what username if you do use social media? Ah, so uh, first off, I just uh, wanted to thank you for having me on the show and giving me an opportunity to to, uh, talk to your audience. Um, uh, I'm a therapist in uh, California and I use a website which is – www.drpariserthepy.com uh doctor is dr so doctor and my last name p a r i s e r therapy.com and in it you'll find something about me something about how i work and uh uh something about uh the book that i recently wrote and the groups that i run now you're in California. Are you a born and raised Cali boy? No, no. I was born in New York. I grew up in New Jersey, and then I moved to California. I was gonna say I got the vibe that you were more of a more of a East Coast guy than a West Coast guy. I'm definitely more <laughs> of an East Coast guy. You know, it just I've I've now lived more of my life in California, but I have to say I I. I still think of myself as an East Coast guy. I just, uh, it's in my blood. <laughs> there you go. Um, how do you go, what are the, the events that take uh, Michael Pariser from New York to now an established, sought-after 
therapist slash guest out there in Cali? Well, I, I won't bore your audience with my entire life, but I, um, you know, like everybody else, like Freud used to say, it's work and love, work and love primarily. Um, so I worked in the movie business and uh, I fell in love with a woman that I met on a movie and she lived in California. So I moved out to California to be with her and to see if I could make it in the big time. And so I, I sort of did for a while. And then in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s, the, the evil state of Canada started offering big-time tax breaks to movie companies if they would make their movies in Canada with Canadians. And, of course, they did because that's how corporations function these days. And so – uh, why not go where there's cheap labor? And I was expensive labor. And so suddenly I was out of a job and I, I, I couldn't make a living anymore. And I was trying to write a screenplay. And my girlfriend at the time said, you know, my last, my husband wrote us into bankruptcy and I'm not going to sit around while you do the same thing. So I was under a lot of pressure, and I, I didn't know what to do. And I had to sit down and sort out uh, where I was going to go with the rest of my life. And I, 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 I had some other options, like being a chef or a winemaker. But I, I wound up going into psychotherapy, and it actually worked out really well. So that's what happened that is maybe one of the most unique routes of a career yeah. I've, I've ever heard. <laughs> I, fa I failed my way into it i also in the in between i tried to be a professional poker player and was miserable i was terrible i was i'm too emotional i'm just too emotional to be a poker player or a stock trader it's why i'll never be rich in in the business of of therapy because we've had we've had a uh, other therapists on the show and and what I really love about you know we we talk to influencers of all different uh, realms of of occupation models you know actors hip hop rock musicians therapists whatever I've always found that the therapists are very interesting and that their routes to therapy are unique but also they're their appreciation for the wholeness of the human being. And I think, you know, that, that probably comes with the territory mm. in your. Yeah. Are you familiar? Are you familiar with the, the wounded healer concept? Uh, I, and maybe in different terms, but please uh, expound on that. It's just, and this goes back to, you know, tens of thousands of years that to shamans and medicine work, you know, medicine men and medicine women in non-indigenous in indigenous and non-industrial cultures. And it has to do with the idea that you get to be a healer, particularly like a mental health healer uh, or a spiritual healer, because you've gone through your own crisis your own suffering, your own journey, and you have kind of walked that walk, and now you are, you're never completely healed of the wounds, but you can help others 
to to walk the same walk because they have the they have similar wounds to the ones that you've worked your way through you know it could be said that uh <clears throat> you know that that is the the great beginning of empathy within a person right like because you know the pain you can identify and connect with others who are suffering because you've been there and and you know i have a friend who her theory is that the the true optimists not people who are delusional but people who are just optimists who you know have a good outlook on life that they're that they are probably some of the most wounded or people have seen the most hardship because they still they've seen the worst and now they're able to envision the best of what they've seen so I, I think it's a fascinating theory and that one I subscribe to. What is a day-to-day grind like for you in your profession and you uh, getting out there being a guest and so on? Well, I don't really have a day-to-day grind, actually. Uh, I, I, first of all, I never considered any, <clears throat> anything I ever did a grind. I only ever pursued stuff I loved, whether it was cooking or studying or working in the movies. It it, it didn't matter if I was up at 5.30 in the morning on the set and didn't finish until 1.30 the following morning. And it didn't matter if I were seeing, you know, 45 patients a week. Uh, it didn't matter if I were sitting in a casino for hours and hours. I just, I, I'm passionate about what I do. And so to, I've never associated anything I do with the term grind. And I'm not grinding now. I like that. And, I, you know, something that I've noticed, it's been both intentional and it's just been that way. It just worked out. That every guest that we have is very multifaceted. And the fact that you were almost a winemaker, you, mm-hmm. you know, you were in the, the music industry, now you're in therapy. I mean, it just shows the levels of uh, that you bring to the table, and I enjoy that. That having been said, are there challenges in the business that you have come across, that you come across every day? Um, well, for different people, there are different challenges. Um, being a psychotherapist is in the kind of, it's known as the impossible profession because every day people come to you and they are in pain. Uh, as a matter of fact, the very first time I ever see somebody, he will, somebody will walk into my office and the first thing I'll ask them is, where does it hurt? Hmm. And I know that that's like a medical question and I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a, I'm a mental health practitioner, but it's right for two reasons. One is that they are hurting and two, that the emotions are connected to the body. They're not just something inside your skull. There's something in your body and in your interpersonal world. So when I say, where does it hurt? They could, it could be heartache. It could be, I have the weight of the world on my shoulders. It could be my stomach's all tied up in knots. It could be, um, my fists are clenched all day in anger. It could be 
you know, my brow is, you know, down to my chin. Um, it could be my heart is heavy. It could be lots and lots of things. There's, there's pl- plenty of ways in which, you know, the body plays a part in how we feel. So when I say, where does it hurt? I wind up getting the whole story yeah. in a very visceral way. And I think that's a great approach. You know, and it's like the old saying, where the mind goes, the body follows. And I think that that's... Except I'd reverse, I'd reverse that, or I would say they, they go at the same time. Ah, and I reason why I pointed, wanted to point that out is that, you know, it's, I think it's a little bit better now, I would hope. But I think that there's still this disconnect by maybe humanity or society that, you know, like you just said, the, your emotions are over here, your body's over here. And in reality, the two are, are intimately intertwined, you know, and it's, you know, stress causes heart, heart disease and heart attacks. People, you know, uh-huh. can, people can be, worry themselves sick. You know, that's that old saying, but it's very true. You don't worry yourself sick and people do it all the time. And I think uh, I really appreciate you pointing that out. Yep. And there's a, it's, it's reciprocal. So, you know, stress gives you heart disease and heart disease gives you stress. <laughs> yes. It's, so that there's a vicious cycle. <laughs> uh, believe me, dance. if I had heart disease, I'd be stressed. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very bad dance. You know, it's like, oh, I don't feel good. So my body feels bad, but now my body feels bad. I don't feel good. That's right. And it's a vicious cycle that goes around and around. And then if you add in like environmental stuff on top of it, oh, and I'm too poor to get good medical care or the nearest doctor is 200 miles away. Okay. Now, now the cycle starts speeding up. Now, given what you've seen in the, in the business of psychotherapy, and I'm going to ask you a question that, you know, it's not a fair question because I'm actually summarize something that I know that they write whole, you know, thesis, theses on. What is, what are the, um, well, actually, let me back up real quick. Let me say this. What's your favorite part of the business? My favorite, besides collecting the checks? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no, that's that's not right. The, 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 my favorite part of the business is when I, I experience myself as genuinely helping somebody else. And you can see that, you know, there's an, a light goes of awareness goes on or their life gets better or um th- there's a struggle that they were having and they and they overcame um a, a, a big hurdle or their their emotional world expanded so that they can live a a fuller richer life that's the most rewarding part what's your least favorite and is that when the check don't cash <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, but my least favorite part, I would say, is twofold. And they overlap. When I feel helpless, 
hmm. or powerless to help somebody. And, it, and, it, and it, it may be temporary. It may be that, you know, I've been helping somebody all along, but today she or he is presenting a problem that, boy, just stumps me um, or just seems intractable. And connected to that, my very, very most painful moments in therapy are when a patient will look at me and say something like, you know, doc, we've been working together for a long time, and I don't think I'm any better than I was when I first walked in. That is not a good moment. Mm. Fortunately, it doesn't happen very much, and it's often not true. It's often a, a momentary experience that needs to be unpacked, but still, it's a painful moment for both of us. It's a moment of hopelessness. Now, you have a, a book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey, A Step-by-Step -Step Guide to Becoming an Integrated Male. First of all, I love the phrase, the hero's journey. You know, anybody who has done any type of writing, I think, has come across it. Um, and, but, you know, people who are fans of epic films have seen the hero's journey portrayed on the silver screen. Can you tell us about your book and why did you use No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey, as part of your title? Okay. So... Um, there's essentially three parts to this book. Um, so it started uh, out of a uh, my relationship with a man by the name of Dr. Robert Glover. Dr. Glover wrote a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy, and it is an extremely popular mm, pop psychology or self-help book. Um, uh, there are a lot of men who identify as nice guys and whose lives don't work the way they would like them to. Um, and so uh, Dr. Glover's book, uh, I'm going to call him Robert because he's a friend of mine. So Robert's book um, really nails the syndrome. It really gets to the heart of what is ailing these people and describes their life in perfect detail. The problem is, so I, I, I was exposed to this book in 2012. I started, I did a, a workshop with him when he was uh, up in Seattle. Uh, and then I started working with men who identify as nice guys. I do a monthly workshop and I was doing individual therapy and I noticed one thing over and over and over again. And that was that the everybody said the same thing I just said. The book, boy, it was like he was following me around taking notes. But what do I do about it? And for the people in individual therapy with me, we were doing it, so I had the answer. But for I started to think, you know, for the the thousands of people or the tens of thousands of people out there who have bought his book, what do they do? I can't see tens of thousands of people. So I said to him, Robert, you need to write a workbook. And he said, I don't want to. Because he's not a nice guy anymore. So I said, I'll tell you what, I'll write it with you. 
And he said, I don't want to. You write it. So I said, okay. So I, I started writing. And as I started writing, some elements of the hero's journey came in. And for those of you out there who don't know the hero's journey, it comes from a book by a man by the name of Joseph Campbell. Uh, and the book is called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He wrote it in 1949. And it's a classic. And I really recommend that you read it. It's fantastic and it, what he noticed, the essence, I'll, spoiler alert, the essence of his book is this, that all of the world's myths, fables, fairy tales, and epics, along with the stories of the major religions, all mirror the fundamental narrative of human psychological and emotional growth. And so that's the hero's journey that all of us are on uh, as we kind of come out of childhood and become adults. So I started to put that in there because nice guys in certain ways are still operating from a child mentality. And so, and, and Robert, read an early draft of the book. He said, you have to put more of this hero's journey stuff in. Um, so I put, I put more of the hero's journey stuff in, and then I added stories from my own experience. And so it's, a, it's really a workbook, and so you, you kind of do have to read Glover's book first, although it's a very easy read. And then you can use my book as a guide to doing the work to get from being a kind of frustrated, unhappy, uh, nice, you know, self-sacrificing nice guy to being uh, a mature, integrated, um, satisfied man in a world of other people. You know, I, that's, I loved all of that. I, I'm going to go find that book and you know, I think when I first came across the concept of the hero's journey, it was in terms of like a character arc. You know, the character uh -huh. starts at A, they go through, you know, some kind of maybe trial or tribulation or challenge. At the end of it, they end at B. Like that's that's the full growth of a mature person. We talk here about the nice guy because, you know, we talk about men's lifestyle and the whole nice guy concept pops up. Actually, we just did a couple of shows about it. Can you summarize this Mr. Nice Guy um, archetype that you have been discussing? Sure. The, the nice guy is somebody who has at, the, at his core the fundamental belief that if he puts aside all of his needs – is never selfish, is always good, um, and puts other people's wants and needs before his own and works to achieve them, he will get, A, everything he wants without asking for it, B, all the love that he has ever looked for, and C, the chance to live a problem-free existence. Hmm. Sadly, none of it works. I, I, and so, but he doesn't know what to do next. 
And so the only thing a nice guy knows how to do is more of the same. It's kind of like if you ever have you ever gone uh, like to another country and seen with Americans and they say something to a, a local person who doesn't understand. And what they then do is say it louder. So they're <laughs> translating English into louder English. That's what nice guys do. They translate self-sacrificing into greater self-sacrificing um, until they can't until they blow up because they're not getting what they're supposed to be getting, they think. So um, it, it doesn't work. Yeah, you you could not have said it any better. If we were in church, I'd have thrown my hands up. That's how dead on you were with that. And when we talked about, you know, we were talking about nice guys on the show before. And, and you know, I told somebody, to me, I, I liken it a lot to Clark Kent, and we got to get you into Superman. In the terms of this, Clark Kent is a nice guy, but people run over him. I mean, I know that's that's the, uh-huh. that's the image that Superman wants because that way people don't realize, you know, they don't look at Clark Kent like he sh- he could be a superhero. Superman is what you want to get to because Superman's a nice guy, but people don't screw with him mainly because he's got heat vision and super strength. But he also, <laughs> he can leap tall buildings yeah, in a single bound. Exactly. But he, right. He also gives across a there's a line in the sand with Superman. And you know, uh-huh. and I think that that is the I think that falls into the the, the hero's journey. Guys, just because uh-huh. just because you're nice doesn't mean that things gonna work out for you. People are gonna take advantage of you. You can still be a good person, but you have to make your your wants and desires and demands known. Uh-huh. So can I try to tweak what you're saying please, a little bit? Please, by all means. Because, because I. I, I'm, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, the thing that I like best about what you're saying is about how there's a line in the sand. Um, but um, uh, And that, to me, is part of being assertive, which is yes. incredibly important. Uh, but the problem with the Superman myth is that's what everybody wants to be, but they can't be. Okay. And they can't be because – they're human beings. Mm-hmm. So the ultimate place of an, that what an integrated male is, is someone who is good and bad, strong and weak, has strengths and limitations, and um, is basically everything. Um, a flawed human being in a complex world. So there was a uh, a Roman philosopher and playwright called Terence or Terentius, and he said, nothing that is human is foreign to me. So I am happy, I'm sad, I'm generous, I'm stingy, I'm joyful, I'm depressed, I'm, uh, I'm kind and considerate, I'm empathic, I'm also spiteful, mean, and vengeful. I feel guilty, I, f- I feel everything. And I have my limitations. I will ne- I, I'd love to play power forward for the Los Angeles Lakers, but I'm five foot four. And, and I don't jump very high. So I'm ne- it's not, it's not going to be within my uh, – that's a limitation that I've had to live with all my life. So um, 
It's just, and we all have limitations. For Here's a silly example. You know, I didn't buy, years ago, I could have bought a building that I lived in, in Hoboken, New Jersey. And I could have bought it for a hundred and you know, 50,000, but I only had a hundred. So I didn't buy the building or I, maybe I could have got the money somewhere, but I didn't buy it. And now of course it's worth two and a half million dollars. And, but I have, so I have to accept that I, I was limited at the time, but I, to take the next step, I also have to accept that I'm the kind of person who has those limitations. Hmm. We, we have to accept that at a deep level you know, I made a bad decision about something. I have to accept that I was ignorant or I am capable of poor decision making. I am not capable of seeing into the future. I, it's being an integrated male means accepting who you are as opposed to trying to be Superman. The unfair question I was going to ask you earlier, can you give me one and in a way you kind of have already but can you give me one challenge for the nice guy i know that i think they were they teach whole classes on this but what's one challenge for the nice guy and what's one way he can repair that okay so one of the biggest challenges for nice guys um even when they kind of get get it that they've been self-sacrificing and now they say, okay, so I'm going to, you know, do a little bit more for myself. All right. I'm going to, and so you say to them, you know, you're going to do what you want, right? Okay. So what do you want? And there's a silence. Well, I want to be happy. All right. Well, what makes you happy? And they just sit there. They don't know what makes them happy. They've spent their entire lives trying to make other people happy mostly because they grew up in families where they had to make some parent happy or prevent the parent from being unhappy or angry. So um, they don't know their, their entire process of wanting and desiring has been shut down. So a big challenge for um, a nice guy is what I call reanimating desire is getting back in touch, getting the process of desiring, of getting to know what you want and getting that online again. And so uh, an exercise that I often prescribe uh, to people who are starting to do this is, um, uh, is this, uh, the guy, you know, look, um, uh, guys can figure out what to eat, right? You know, n nobody starved to death. Right. So, uh, so we all know that we can figure out what we want to eat. The problem is when somebody else is around, like a girlfriend or a wife or uh, another friend with a uh, with louder opinions. What then nice guys do automatically is, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Well, I don't know. What do you want? I, I no, no. You tell me. What do you want? So. I say to them, okay, look, the next time uh, it's, you know, you're going to go to a restaurant, or you're going on a date, you're going with your wife, you're going to take your wife to dinner, or you're going to dinner, or you want to go to shopping, do not ask, you're not allowed to ask, this is the exercise, you're not allowed to ask, what do you want? You must go off by yourself 
whether you lock yourself in your room, the bathroom, the bedroom, the car, take a walk, go for a run, whatever it is um, that you need to do, you're not allowed to talk to the other person until you have know what it is that you want. So for dinner, let's say. So um, you, you cannot, and then you must come out and say it. And you must say it as a declarative sentence, not, not would it be okay if we had Chinese food tonight? It's honey, you know, I'm jonesing for lasagna. Let's, let's go to Vito's and, and have lasagna. And then you, then you must shut the hell up. <laughs> you are not allowed, you are not allowed to go if that's okay with you or would it be or, you know, but if you really want sushi, no, you're not allowed to say another word until, until your partner says something. And generally speaking, your partner will say, yeah, okay. And, and if that happens, that's the end of the conversation. Don't go – well, but, you know, are you sure – just get your coat on, get in the car, and go to Vito's and order the lasagna. The, if she says, gee, I don't know, you know, Italian sounds good, but I don't care about lasagna. Okay, fine. Let's go to Vito's. You order anything you want. And, but if she says, I'm really not in the mood for lasagna, now you can start to negotiate. Well, what do you want? I want sushi. Well, all right, we can go to the food court. You can have sushi, or we can have sushi tonight and lasagna tomorrow, or vice versa. You can negotiate. But the big first step is acknowledging that it's, it's up to you to reanimate your desire. And the way to do it is you must go off by yourself and sort it out and then come back and declare your desire. Doctor, what are you working on next? I'm working on two things. Uh, I'm not sure which one I – well, I'm, I'm researching for another book. It's a book about depression, actually. But I, I'm not sure I'm going to do this. And then there's another book I'm also researching on solving practical problems using emotional intelligence. So the, those, are, those are my projects. Um, I'm learning to hit a golf ball. I'm also doing that, and I'm trying. <laughs> Be, um, yeah, because I got old enough to like you know, because golf. You don't. You may not know this, but it's the last stage before death. Come, it goes like Medicare, retirement, Social Security, golf, death. That's how it works. So. <laughs> In 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 keeping with this and I can't wait to hear your answer on this one. In keeping with the uh with the theme of sexiness, what is the sexiest thing about you? Uh I'm well women always tell me the same thing. It, it's my it's my mind. So so I I it can't be my body. I, I I'm not the world's most you know, I do not look like George Clooney or uh uh, yeah, Denzel Washington. Right? I don't look like anybody. I'm I'm short and bald, and um, uh, so uh, it's and it's been a long time since I was young and handsome. So, uh, but uh, I, it's, I think it's my sense of humor, I, it's, and my my listening, my listening. 
So it's my, it's all, it's all my mind. Do you? So I, I listen. I, oh, I'm sorry. I listen ahead. and I care. What is? That's it. Uh, That's it. What do you think makes a man sexy? For all those nice guys that are out there listening, what makes a man sexy, in your opinion? I think, I mean, it's a combination. It's not one thing. Confidence is really sexy. And let's let's exclude something like money and power, Mm -hmm. which will be sexy to... Um, in a kind of a mammalian way, like access to resources. Um, uh, that makes a man attractive in a, a kind of a mating way. But uh, sexiness, I think, comes from confidence, uh, warmth, um, uh, humor, care, and caring about another person. And here's something. This is for everybody out there. I read a study, or I read about a study. You can't read studies. Don't ever try to read a study because it's written in. in oh, Doc, we lost you for a second. You still there? Still there? Yep. Okay, we got you back. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the problem with being on a phone app. When the phone rings, yeah. Yeah, weird stuff happens. Weird <laughs> stuff happens. All right. So don't try to read surveys. They're written in scientific gibberish. Um, but the survey uh, was about um, why what makes people like other people in an interaction and you won't guess what it was. And I'm not talking about like just pure sexiness. What I'm talking about is uh, they took two random people and put them together and they did this a lot of times. And then they looked at what, um, you know, what, uh, whether people liked each other and why. And ultimately, the number one thing that made people like the other person was that that other person asked follow-up questions. Ah. So you can't just say, do you have any hobbies? Yes, I collect stamps. And how many brothers and sisters do you have? Three. Oh, and where did you grow? Like that's that's like interview questions, right? And um, you know, um, it's right. What's your hobby? I collect stamps. Oh, that's interesting. How long you've been doing that? Do what's your favorite? Like, do you have any kind of really rare ones? Um, do you collect whole blocks or individual stamps? Like, do you you know how long you've been doing it? Is it you know is your boy? Some of those must be worth a lot of money. And like, you could have a whole conversation even if you don't know anything about stamp collecting and don't care anything about it. But if you care about enough to about the person, you'll ask follow up questions. The other thing that I think conveys confidence is what I call leaning out. And I, by leaning out, I actually mean that literally, like on a first date or second date. If you lean in, people, people 
human beings like to have safe distance. And it's different in different cultures. It's less in Asian cultures and more in Western cultures. But if, you, if you're standing and talking to somebody and you lean in, that other person will lean back. If you lean back, they'll kind of lean in a little bit. Now, what's important about that, other than leaning back sort of conveys a sense of confidence and ease, the other important thing has to do with um, proprioceptive feedback. And that's a fancy term that means your mind knows where your body is and where it is is telling you something about what's going on. And so what I mean is, if I lean in to something, my body is saying to my mind, and my mind gets the message, I want to get closer to this other thing, this other person, because this person is good, or this food is to eat, or this per I want to have sex with that person. If I'm leaning back, it says a kind of, I want to get away. So... If you lean in and the, your partner leans back, she's getting the message from her body, I'm trying to get away from this guy. Well, this is not a message you want your date to have. So if you lean back and she leans in, her body is saying, I'm trying to get closer to this man. And it feels a little manipulative if you do it consciously, but frankly, it's better. Because if you lean in, it's not like you're not going to ever send any message. And you can't sit up erect all night long. It's not going to work. Your body will give out. So lean back. Take it easy. And you'll do a lot better. God, I love so much of everything that you just said. Um, let's jump to the quick game uh, where we like to give our guests a chance to run through some entertaining questions. Doc, are you ready? I, I think so. I'm, this is not my forte. I like to be kind of thoughtful about answers and stuff. So there, that's already, that's my quick answer. Is, are we, is that it? No. All right, go ahead. On a scale of one to ten, how good are you at keeping secrets? Oh, my God. I, I have no – I hate, first of all, I hate secrets. So uh, I'm a ten and a one. Uh, I will keep a secret, absolutely, but I hate it. Um, cake or pie? Uh, pie, and then I remove the crust because I like the fruit. Uh, have you ever worn socks with sandals? Oh, yeah, because uh, I have these wonderful keen sandals, and they are more comfortable with socks, but not with shorts. Do you remember your first record? I think think so. Uh, it was uh, Disraeli Gears by Cream. What was your favorite record? Blonde on Blonde by Bob Dylan. If you had to pick between cuddling with a baby panda or <laughs> this, I never asked this question without laughing. Baby panda or baby <laughs> penguin, which would you pick? The panda. 
favorite type of tea? Penguin, penguin, penguins are probably well, they're birds. That, I, I yeah, don't but know. pandas I, are cuddly. I feel like penguins. Smell I'm, I'm like, going with the panda. I feel like they smell like a bird the, and a fish put together. That's just I don't. I think I'm yeah, panda. But, but, um, yeah, pe- yeah. Favorite type they eat of bamboo tea. shoots. They don't smell. I eat bamboo shoots. But <laughs> all right, and what do penguins eat? Herring or something? I don't know what they eat, and it, it smells bad. Favorite type of tea? Uh, puer. How many hours do you sleep? Seven and a half. And lastly, and I think my favorite question of all: Who inspires you? Lots of people inspire me. Um, Who is alive today or who is no longer alive? Does it matter? It doesn't matter. Just somebody that jumps to the top of the list right now at this moment. Okay. Um, uh, My grandfather inspired me. My I had a therapist named Carl who was wonderful. He inspired me. Um, Beethoven inspires me. Bob Dylan inspires me. Um, Orson Welles inspired me. Uh, there's uh, uh, there's a there's a T.S. Eliot inspired me. There's lots of people who inspired me, and so yeah. Good people, sexy people. That wraps up our interview with the. <laughs> thought-provoking, and hilarious. (laughs) Dr. Michael Parisi. Doc, thank you for joining us. And uh, can you let people know one more time where to find you? Yeah, um, I'm on um, www.drpariserotherapy.com. And I I wrote this book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, The Hero's Journey. Uh, which is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Apple Books and Audible, and um, and I I have a presence on the internet. So there you go. Doc, I'm I'm findable. I'm not hard to find. Doc, thank you so much, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. All right, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. What if you could be a better player for the cost of one more cup of coffee a month? Get access to a growing library of lit erotica, behind the scenes action, and player's guides with tips on drinking, cooking, fitness, dating, sex, and life after dark. Low tier rate while offer lasts. Patreon.com, game on with Jack. Keep it sexy and game on.